this week on Friday Night Fright, got a great episode for you this week on Friday Night Fright. We got Walking Dead 3.04, episode 3, episode 4, season 3, episode 5, season 3, I, I can't remember anyway. And episode 4 and Death's covered. And also, the um, Devil Me Dark Pictures, a review of that's in place. Also, a review of Howling H2O, but top off the main thing, a review of Knives Out 2, Glass Onion, Glass Onion, slash and Knives Out Mystery. Um, they're all on today's episode. Tune in from Friday Night Fright tonight, live on Friday. So I've just watched um, episode four of season three of Walking Dead, um, an episode which can write and would share the episode title for this podcast, an episode which could have justifiably been called How Not to Give Birth During a Zombie Pandemic. Because, oh my God, Laurie is... Okay, how how to phrase this? So I don't, I've never liked Gareth of Laurie. I really haven't. I thought her and Rick and Galt were very badly written and very well acted. But my God, this episode. Okay, so basically, um, the whole prisoner thing's still going on. Um, I didn't mention that in the last recap, but essentially they're at the prison. There's some prisoners and they're like, you can't stare by us. And they keep telling them, let one go. And then two others were like, can we join? And they're like, no. So this episode's basically the remaining prisoners being like, can you join us? And they say no again. And then they're overrun by zombies, walkers again, which seems to happen a lot, despite that the prison is apparently securing her from their point. In episode two, saying Rick has triple checked that he's been out there an hour, or apparently fucking didn't. If they get overrun by zombies again in secure prison, and they get separated, and fucking Laurie. Maggie and Carl get separate from the rest because someone's pissed about for the generator and alerting all the zombies. And they get trapped in the room and Laurie's sort of like, oh shit, I'm about to give birth and starts making noise like a, a cat, like some form of cattle. You know? And Maggie's like, oh, um, Herschel told me how to do this, but I've never actually done it. And then she screws up. She has to know what concept dilation is. And then Laurie's like, look, I'm going to die, but you can save the baby. Here's my C-section scar, cuttings me. And Maggie's like, I can't. Laurie's like, Carl's got a knife. So Maggie cuts into Laurie, who passes out through blood loss. And then they grab the baby and they wake the baby up. And the baby's like, oh. And Carl's like, give, give the baby a jacket. And then Carl's like, I have to shoot mum. She might turn, which this all happens in the span of like five minutes. So, and no one checks Laurie's pulse. She's passed out from pain. She could technically be alive. Yes, she'll probably die at some point, but, you know, surely you can do that, you know? Lock her in room, get someone back in, okay, and check on her, who, Herschel, who, okay, he's been bit, so he can't walk, but you know what I mean, where it's like, they go, they do sort of thing of, sort of like, oh, no, I've got chains on my leg. Oh, there's a hat saw. Okay, I'll cut my leg off. It's like, surely you try off things first. And surely Herschel would have told everyone how to deliver a baby and dilate and, and all of that. Told everyone and don't and about C section two, just gone over it with everyone. You've had eight months to think about this. Surely Herschel would have been like, look, in the event that you do, in the event that one of us is trapped and you know, it's two AM or something like that and everyone is drunk, here's how you deliver a baby for a C section safely, you know? Or at least have supplies, someone, you know, it's just, I get they're in a serious situation, but this is the point when the show gets really, really dumb, you know, because it's like, 
the actress doesn't want to be on the show anymore. Well, maybe she did, and they didn't want her to be on the show anymore. But it's like, look, okay. And it's the same thing I criticised Lost. Lost was sort of like, oh, no, how do we deal with the fact that, well, the actor is ageing normally, we're only meant to be set over a few months. It's sort of like, you deal with it by thinking about when you cast. It's like, if you cast an eight-year-old in pilot, you know, have a plan for him ageing, because he will age noticeably throughout the seasons. Same with this. You make Laurie Bredlin, okay? You could have stretched out for a while, and you decided not to. You jumped right to the end of it. What was your original plan? Was this always your plan? Was this the was this what happened in comic books? I I can't remember. I mean, maybe it was, but if maybe it was wasn't. At least in comic book, it's panels, so you can assume that time exists between panels. In this TV show, it's literally two minutes, and she's still like, "Look, cut me open." That's the only solution. You're lying on grounding Anthony. Maybe, maybe, Laurie, you're not the person to ask at this particular moment. And Maggie and Carl are just not the people to be delivering your baby. It's just the whole thing's like contrivance, you know. It's not, it's not entertaining. It's just also really, really, really silly. And on the flip side, Michonne and Andrea are having the same argument they've had last two episodes where it's like, oh, no, I don't want to leave. I want to leave. I don't want to leave. I want to leave. And I'm thinking, okay... They're meant to have been friends for like eight months and basically best friends forever. Michonne saved their life. They bonded it for eight months. Andrew's been in Woodbury for two days and she's like, I want to leave you. Now, granted, Woodbury has beds and then Michonne's talking about going coast and what ifs and all of that, but surely friendship between both of them means a bit more because they're not acting like friends. They're acting like this is literally two weeks since the end of season two when Michonne found Andrea. You know? No, it's only been two weeks, not eight months. And that's the problem with this show. Laurie's been president for eight months and all those characters have changed, but Andrew hasn't changed at all. She's the exact same character, falling for the exact same bullshit. She faithful with Shane, with Governor. Now, again, nice warm bed. But Andrew's often's weird because it's like she's flirting with me. Oh, and uh, with Meryl. And the governor, and it's like, I'm not sure if that's intentional or they just left in the wrong cut or whatever, but a wrong scene choice, but it's weird. And those Michonne being like, there's bullet holes in the truck, and it's sort of like, okay, this is a problem. Not problem, but they've played all their cards with the governor. We know he's creepy as fuck. So Michonne is right, but... I don't know whether they want us to know more than characters and they think that's where you're going for tension or whether they just really wanted to explain who Governor was because they didn't have much time or whatever. I, I don't know. But, you know, it's things sort of like, oh, no, how to let Soldier go. Look, the Governor's clearly evil, but they try and play him as this nice, charming guy. And he is nice and charming, but, you know, it's it's like one thing's lost in way was they would introduce characters and they would play with the ambiguity of whether they're good or evil for at least a couple of episodes get some mileage out of it. This one's straight up like, Guffness is an evil motherfucker. And, you know, is that, it's like they played the flashback scene before they, they actually play actually had them in present day. Like, she all did the same thing. We did, the entire first episode was a flashback, and then the show started. But it would be better if we'd be up to that. And maybe it would be the same thing here. Like, four or five episodes in the future, we could have found out Governor's evil. 
you know, because right now Android looks like a complete idiot who just wants a warm bed, which, okay, warm bed, that's cool, but still a complete idiot. And the episode ends with, okay, so Rick has breakdown when Maggie, Coral, and the um, Rick's baby daughter come out. Rick has complete breakdown, and look, Andrew Lincoln's a really good actor. There's nothing wrong with the acting here. It's just... It's just over the top. And here's, here's the real problem with it. Ethel goes on the show, like, Carol and Sophia. She wasn't... I get Rick's the main character, but Carol and Sophia, it wasn't this weird, like, this over the top. Like, but Rick, it's like, because he's the lead character, they tell Andrew Lincoln, look, you got to have breakdown on set. And he's like, oh, no, 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 Carl, no, 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 Carl, Carl, Carl. And then he falls down and then the episode ends. And it's sort of like, okay. And everyone looks sad. And all I think of is, none of you liked Laurie. She wasn't a particularly nice person. And everyone looks sad. And it's like, T-Bag, maybe a crime for T-Bag or Carol, although we know Carol's not dead because we didn't see her die. Um, and I'm not sure why she's not outside for them, considering she ran that way, but whatever. Anyway, yep, so that's War of the Dead, uh, Season 3, Episode 4. Um, it was okay. So I didn't do it it's Halloween this year, um, but I just watched on Netflix Halloween H2O, which is a movie I haven't seen in a long, long time. I obviously remember when first saw it, you know, it's written by Kevin Williamson, or at least story by Kevin Williamson, who is the guy who wrote Scream, and the stories for Scream 2, 3, 4, and 5. 2, 3, and 4, I don't think he did 5. And, yeah, they didn't use his full scripts because Harvey and Bob Weinstein are fucking idiots, you know? Um, and they decided that they weren't going to use his full scripts, which ridiculous, because scripts for Scream 2 and Scream and 4... Uh, much better than the actual movies because Kevin Williamson's a really, really good horror writer. And this is proof of that because I don't know whether it's just a story or whether it's a full script, but this is a really cool approach to doing Howling movie. Now, obviously, since this came out, we've had the Rob Zombie ones, which were a complete tonal shift from the originals, and we've had the new versions by Danny McBride and David Gordon Green, which were good. No parts were really, really good. But this is like... Hey, I'll be honest. I remember watching this ages ago and thinking it was okay. You know, a long, long time ago. But in retrospect, this is really, really good. And what I like about it is it's a complete movie. I think one problem with Dan McBride, David Gordon Green ones, is they're not complete movies. They're like a trilogy, which is fine. You know, or at least it's going to be the origin and it made into a trilogy, which is, again, it's fine. It's just, you know, then you run risk of howling their version of howling free, howling kids, um, the mill one in their trilogy. Nothing really happens and it's a bit goofy, but I mean, it's still an enjoyable howling movie. But this is our complete movie. It's short. When you get to credits, it's at the one hour, 21 minute mark. But it doesn't need to be any longer. It's really compact. It's really good. It's really well paced. It's atmospheric. There's a lot of good character development between the brutal murders. And it's got a unique sensibility to it, being set at the school. A private school, even. And it has a really good cast. Josh Hartnett, Michelle Williams, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in a cameo, for God's sake, you know. And... 
it's a really compact movie. And I think one of the reasons I refer it to the new ones is it does in one movie what New Trilogy did in three. By really compacting the trauma of um, uh, Laurie, Laurie Strode, or Cheryl, or Tate, Carrie Tate, whatever her name is in this, and really does a good job compacting her trauma. But it's actually kind of funny, because Jamie Lee Curtis is famously on record saying this was a disappointment, and she, not necessarily what she wanted it to be. I've heard rumours that she wanted... Laurie to be in a more broken state for this movie, but despite the fact that she shouldn't really be teaching in school, that seems like a really stupid choice to potentially put kids in danger. And it's also the fact that this kind of ignores the backstory of Halloween 4, 5 and 6, which some people would say isn't a bad thing. I mean, it kind of alludes to it may be happening, but they cut a scene where she finds out that her daughter... Um, has died, um, you know. I mean, it being part of that continuity wouldn't really make too much sense because of that. No, all bad shit that happens in this movie it talks about. You know, see Michael in twenty years, but I mean, it loosely fits, just about fits, and it it would actually make the movie better. One reason that I kind of like new ones but don't really like them is. I think you should embrace all that trash continuity. You should have it be part of that universe, you know? But, I mean, I get why they don't, but... No, it's just, to me, it'd be cooler, because you're rewarding people who have watched the whole thing. Maybe not going too far in detail on it, you know, illusions and it being part of continuity, not really being stressed. Although maybe they thought, you know, 20 years, the big battle between Laurie and Michael is a bit cooling and sort of like, hey, Michael's been doing his own thing for, like, ages. But then this movie kind of, being a sequel to Howling 2, Michael obviously burned death in that movie, and they don't really explain how he's back. So I suppose you could kind of use the other movies as loose continuity, like the, the rough gist of the events. I would say this movie does lose out because Loomis is... I know no one could play him, like Donald Pleasance could play him, but he was, he, he was such a cornerstone for the series that maybe having him be a bit more involved in this one, if you could find a way to do it, even if it's tape recordings or something like that, or I suppose they didn't want to be exploitative of Donald Pleasance um, passing away uh, before Halloween 6 had even released. But I, you know something, you know, I mean... They sort of hint at it with Nurse Chambers, who, incidentally, for someone who's pretty much a background character in First Halloween, that character's really risen in prominence in both this and in the uh, Danny McBride, Dave Gordon Green Halloween series. She's really become a much more important character than she ever actually was if you go by First Halloween, where she's just bit part. So good on that actress getting some money and time out of it. I also think, like, Going back to it, um, I don't know. I, I I feel like this movie really, really, really works in a way. Now, I personally enjoyed it a lot more than the new trilogy because I thought, again, far more focused. Jamie Lee Curtis, great performance, but not over the top. I think new one, they really go into that mindset of Mike Myers has to be basically an immortal god. Oh, and no people with disagreements, they, they don't really go that way. No, they make him a bit more human, but in this movie, he's clumsy, he's goofy, he's not 
too over the top. I mean, he takes a lot of punishment, but it's shot in very matter-of-fact way, whereas new ones, sort of like, high definition. Look at Michael. Look how tough he is. And so they get to the third movie, of course, how he ends where he's not very tough at all. But this movie's clumsy, he's goofy, he's, he makes mistakes, he gets knocked down, because at the end of the day, like, he can take a lot of punishment, but he's still human, you know. That's the whole point of character. You know, that it's evil in the body of a human. So he'll get up, but he'll take a lot of punishment. Because that's more terrifying to me. It's something like the idea of someone who, a being who doesn't teleport, but who would trip people, like when he comes to school and he trips the guy and get past the gate. Yeah, it's a bit goofy, but at the same time, it's something which would actually happen and makes him more terrifying. He's got brains, he's smart. He uses things to his advantage. And I think Kevin Williamson really does a good job. Is this good Scream? No, not even close, because it's a bit more matter-of-fact than Scream was. The script isn't... Well, I mean, it obviously can't be as funny because Halloween, and dealing with a lot more serious subjects, where Scream is legitimately hilarious, and also has that mystery of who killer is, which works in the first one, not really in the other ones. And you also get some lovely scenes with... Jamie Lee Curtis and her actual mother Janet Lee, which is very sweet, very nice scenes. They don't remake really any sense in the context of the movie, but it's still nice scenes and Halloween having a nice scene or two is good. Um now obviously we get to a point where the movie kind of not really falls apart, but I think they made the right choice for a complete movie to have that part with Laurie and Michael at the end. But at the same time, it's like you clearly were hoping for a sequel. So it should probably should have ended with Michael being driven away and Laurie a bit unsure. You know, if purely from a marketing standpoint, you know, mer- merchandising all of that. Like, if you thought there's a chance of a sequel, you should have left a hook while also being a satisfied movie because... The way this movie ends, there cannot be a sequel. I know I've seen Halloween Resurrections and I didn't hate it because it was fun. But, I mean, it is a stupid retcon. And think, I think it's just that hedging all your bets on Jamie Lee Curtis and ignoring continuity of 4, 5, 6 means that, well, pretty much, means that you can't really jump back into that. So they have to create their own and... Halloween Resurrections, just, I think they, I'd love to review of it at some point, actually, look into a bit more closely, but I think the problem with Halloween Resurrections is, they're like, shit, what do we do? And, it, I won't say kill the franchise, you know, because they obviously were able to find ways to bring it back, but I think, at least with Number Bright Virgin, they have plan. No. Now, where they're going for that plan from now on, who knows? You know, maybe they'll maybe they'll resurrect, maybe they'll reboot Rob Zombie ones, or maybe they'll do something different. Although I don't really know now. I think where do you go with Halloween from here? I mean, my personal belief would be that you should do, you should flip it, so that you have this, you have these sister tormenting brother or a female slasher tormenting male victim you know you could flip like that although maybe that'd be sexist in this day and age but you need to do something different because you I can't just do michael Myers again although they should do my idea that i had um 
it's trademark, not trademark to me, but it's basically is for me, where you bring all slashers in. So Michael, Jason, Freddy, Chucky, um, Pinhead, uh, the fucking Puppet Master, Jigsaw, bring them all together to stop Devil or something, I don't know. I don't know, the right's probably a mad thing to get flat, but that would be a cool movie, you know. Sort of like a Suicide Squad, but for evil monsters. I guess I don't know. I don't know. But Halloween H2O, I really enjoyed it. Good acting, very good acting, very good pace, very well maintained, very good structure, and a satisfying conclusion, you know? So obviously they messed up Halloween Resurrections, but there you go. Um, Halloween H2O, I give it, you know what? I, I should be generous. I give it four out of five. That's my review. Oh, so I just completed Dark Pictures Anthology to Devil and Me, which is the latest game in the series by guys who um came up with Unto Dawn and Quarry. They, I'm sure you guys already know this, but they introduced a series called Dark Pictures Anthology, which is basically um an anthology, for lack of a better word, because that's what it is, which deals with various horror tropes and things of that nature. And it is absolutely... Absolutely incredible. Every game's been fantastic. And this one, I was a bit concerned because I stopped playing and I enjoyed it. But I thought, nah, it's not quite working for me the same way as the other one. A bit like The Quarry, where I really enjoyed The Quarry. You know, I really do. I thought that's a really good game, but I think something's missing with it. And think the same way with this for a lot of the game. Then I got to the ending. I was oh my fucking God. Guys, what the absolute shit in the best possible way i don't want to spoil my ending although it was incredibly weird incredibly random and made me scream holy shit on tv but these these games are the best they're the actual best i think the shorter runtime actually works better for these sort of games like they said there's seven eight hours gameplay which um makes sense um Definitely feels like there's about that much. And think it's kind of better because some like quarries are a lot more gameplay, but not padding per se. But they really want to explore F1's character in some semblance of detail. And I feel like, okay, here's my real problem with quarry. Um, same thing, I not really have problem with, with Unto Dawn, but with the quarry, it felt very much like Unto Dawn Part 2 in terms of mechanics of game. And there were obviously changes, but it felt very similar in tone and approaching. That's not a bad thing. It's just each Dark Pictures game deals with a slightly different thing. Obviously, the joke behind them was, is it supernatural or is it not supernatural? But they all felt like they were different and unique. And the quarry felt very much like a spiritual successor to Unto Dawn, which wasn't bad. I still really enjoyed it. But I love these little small movies every year. They These feel more like the B movies, I guess, um, compared to, like, the AA ones of the main series. Although I'm still going to buy the next um, uh, supermassive, full-blown, like, horror game. But back to this one. It definitely especially focuses on... Focuses on uh, a murder house, um, for lack of a better word, and it's uncovering mystery of who's behind it and what exactly is going on. And at first, it seems like quite straightforward. Um, the clues point to a certain direction, and it's not necessarily that the end of game contravenes that. It's just it throws a few last minute twists at you, and um, in my case, a choice that really hit me hard because 
it's a brutal choice. And, you know, maybe you guys won't have that. If you play a game, maybe you have something different. But for me, it's like, holy shit, you're giving me an actual brutal existential choice here. What do I choose? And I make one choice <laughs> and then game for a fuck you in to me right at the very end. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, just brilliant. I love this series. I love each game. I think, I don't know if I'd say it's the best one. I'd say it's very, very... I think there's definite replay value to this one. I don't know whether I'd necessarily do that because I think I'll probably watch the H.O. Delirious slash cartoons one. Um, but definitely a lot of painful brutality to it. Like, it's very dark. And I don't mean just in terms of lighting, which is dark and useful. I mean in tone, you know. The other ones have a bit of levity to them. But this one, it definitely has the feel of like a season finale i know he's been advertising that but definitely does the only thing i would say is that i didn't find the useful coins um that you collect i think maybe it's to do with the hints or something i i assumed at the end of the game with all talk of the ferryman and things like that and it might be um a reveal of the afterlife or something like that and you bring people back or ferries or whatever but didn't quite go that way but man what brutal game and like just encrypt like it's rare you have a game where like the last part is the best part of the entire game but this was definitely like me once you get past some of the elements of it you are oh, it just hits you hard and yeah i mean i'm kind of rambling bit but i i, I love dark pictures I, I don't want these guys to go away so if they on set system where you just give them thirty pounds a year indefinitely, I'll do that. I mean, these are fucking awesome guys. Like these are the most fun games. These are my most look forward to games of the year, without question. They are so much fun to play, and I cannot recommend them enough. This one in particular, because again, it's something different. You know, we were in egypt last time which oh that house of ashes was so much fun to play and next one no one spoil it because you got to see the trailer but that looks incredible and combines looks like combines two of my favorite movies of all time so i i can't wait and the fact that they jump horror genres each time so it's not the exact same thing as times so why i love these ones they seem to take a few chances and just ah oh, so good but if you want devil me i'd buy it I just buy it and you have a way of time playing it. It is five out of five, definitely recommended. We have much replay value. I think you might replay it a couple of times um, to do things differently. But I, I just love these choose-throwing adventure games because I'll be honest, I might be ego talking, but I feel like I'm come up with a better plot than most Hollywood people. So I like the fact this game lets you choose where it goes and then hits you a few twists anyway because... They're malicious like that. But definitely by Dark Pictures, Devil and Me. Highly recommended. Not something that I'm promoting. Although if they want to give me free games promotion, I'll I'll promote it. I love these games. So there you go. Buy it now. Buy it soon. Or buy it later. Hey, it's time to talk about Knives Out. Glass Onion, uh, Glass Onion, Nice Out Mystery. I just saw a movie a few hours ago, but I just saw it anyway on opening day, sort of, maybe, kind of. Anyway, I really enjoyed it. Um, do you want more than that? Do you want spoilers? You're not going to get them. I'm just going to talk about how much I enjoyed the movie. It was a really, really fun movie. 
really, really enjoyable. Definitely recommend it for anyone. Go and see it. Don't wait for Netflix. Go and see Knives Out Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. <laughs> so, you're probably asking what I enjoy it. And yes, that's a car going by. Uh, what I enjoyed about the movie was it was fun and had good mystery and paid off nicely. I was saying that watching it, I wasn't sure for the first part, and I think that's always the case. That's enough car. It's always the case with murder mysteries. So, you know, your enjoyment of them hinges on resolution being good and payoffs and setup and climax being acceptable and also foreshadowing. And I think Nights Out and Glass and Nights Out mystery really resonates on all those corners. It's a very good mystery, paid off nicely, and with lots of cool twists and turns and good acting. And funny, if I mention funny, I think I did, if you hear this, because I have my dent metal brace thingy thing, my crooked ass teeth. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I know people could wait for Netflix for it, but you shouldn't. You should go see it live in cinema or as live as you can get, because it's a big beast, uh, big budget, big ideas movie. It has ideas, people. Also, it's great done, great performance. Um, one thing it doesn't have is it doesn't have a new accent for him. He has the same accent this one he had in this one, which is kind of uh, your 70 Sam sort of accent. So if you're going into it thinking, hey, Dan Craig's got a new accent, he does not have a new accent. He has the same accent he had in the last one. But that's it. Very good movie. Um, kind of difficult to talk about without spoiling it and don't really want to spoil it. Um, because Netflix will do bad things to me if I spoil it. But definitely go see it. Oh, you still there? You want spoilers, don't you? Um, it has layers. That's the spoiler. Like Shrek, Night, Glass Onion and Nights Out Mystery has layers. So layers, women, layers, women, layers. Lots of self, lots of foreshadowing, and lots of payoff. Is this Booth's first one? Tough question, I think the first one works better as a like movie unto itself. Um, even before resolution, it's funny, it's sharp, it's written. This one hinges on resolution being good, and it is good, but if you feel it's not good, you won't enjoy a movie. So until you see it, I can't really say if you'll think it's better than the first one, but I will say it's, it is one of the best movies I've seen this year. And you might not trust me on that because I have terrible opinions, but I'll maintain it's a very, very good movie. Um, is it better than Black Panther Wakanda forever? Oh no, I mean, I, I, I like this one more for the um, nature of it and the payoffs, and is by far, for me, the best mystery of the year, and far better than the um, kind of brand new Poirot one, which I'm a fan of. So yeah, go see Nights Out 2. Glass Onion and Nights Out Mystery in cinemas now. Don't wait for Netflix, you lazy bastards. Go see it now. Sorry for calling you lazy bastards, but you know what I mean. And this is the epilogue of the episode. Episode 2 of Season 7 is done. What can you expect next week? Um, maybe Menu, because I think this week and forgot. Um, maybe some other things. Um made some other movies i don't know um i have the beyond on dvd it's a weird looking movie um i think it's more walking dead um maybe i'll talk about chant some more maybe i'll complete it maybe i'll complete gotham nights um i don't know anyway bye <laughs>